Hey guys, welcome to the Sports Compound. I am the Sarge, and welcome to the special day, Martha Luther King Day. I do have a special plan for you guys, whoever is watching and so forth. So, Chris, if you could bring up the, the um, screenshot, I have Bodine Standard, um, Sanders as an interview up here. He's an author, motivation speaker. We're going to talk about his book, Race Against Race. It is endorsed by the Big East Conference, which is a huge deal with that. So I think that is awesome. So with that being said, let's get Bo and also his co-host from Bo and Joe also onto the, onto here. Bo, Joe, welcome to the Sports Compound. Welcome to this um, C2C family, part of that. How are you two doing today? Hey, Sars, how you doing? Thanks for the invite. We appreciate it. And uh, believe me when I say I am just a passenger on this ship. It is definitely the Joe and Bo show, but she decided to name it the Bo, <laughs> the Bo and Joe show. So I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging on her coattails. All righty. And, and we could change Joe's um, name to I'm the captain now. So Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. And of course, I'm, I'm happy to be in this prestigious company and uh, we're partners all around on coast to coast, so I don't think anybody gets stopped feeling. So uh, I certainly appreciate that, Bodine, but, you know, we're certainly equal equal partners. I mean, you're more of a partner, I consider, than my own husband, so I think you, <laughs> you get the top billing in this relationship. Hey, Sarge, she keeps saying that, right? She better stop saying that because people are going to start to start whispering and, and sending out rumors and everything. <laughs> Just to remind you guys, we're live, so. <laughs> so, Dean, whatever, whatever brings in the viewers, I'll throw anything out there. I'm throwing it all in. All right, and we got Dave, Mushroom Dave saying, what's up, friends? And we know him. He has a new show as well, Mess um, Around in the Afternoon, or some, something along those, talking about the Chicago sports and so forth. But this last weekend was the super wild card weekend. That's what the NFL was taking. Um, tagline this weekend with that one and it was kind of a wild one in my my preference of view with that one but let's put that to the side first um i want to get with bo on this one first bo you wrote a book um and um and the significance on the book i where what where was your thought idea with, with that book when you're trying to create it and so forth well uh joe you've heard this before so um don't don't get bored but uh, many years ago, Howie Long was, uh, I was attending a lacrosse tournament. His youngest son, Little Howie, was participating in a lacrosse tournament in, at Townsend University. And for those folks out there, Howie Long is a Villanova grad. And so we had a nice group tailgating. Someone proceeded to tell him my story how I started at Cheney University, the oldest HBCU in the country, then transferred to Villanova. And obviously him being the, Howie being the wise and seasoned person that he is, he recognized that, hey, that's a big change. And he said to me, put that story on paper. And I was like, what do you mean? That's Hollywood talk. I don't know what that means. He goes, write a book. So he was the first person to tell me to do that. I was working for a big corporation at that time folks are familiar with it, Comcast or Infinity. 
And I just didn't have the time to come home from work and write at night, right? I had a little one uh, that, 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 that required a lot of my attention. So when my, my daughter turned 14 and became an official teenager, that gave me some opportunities and some free time to start writing the book. So I started writing the book then. And, it, and you know, it, it's a matter of, if you remember, 2014, 2015, that's when Colin Kaepernick started taking the knee. And there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of conversation about that. Um, he wasn't in control of that message. Mm -hmm. And people in the media would say, and I'm, I'm from the media, right? I, I used to work for a media organization, a newspaper organization. And folks would say, oh, we need to have the race conversation. And if I was sitting in my living room, I'd throw something at the TV. Luckily, it was a soft, squishy thing where it wouldn't break the TV. Or if I'm in my in my vehicle driving and someone on radio would say, we need to have the race conversation, I'd say, wow, come on, folks. Athletes on teams, specifically diverse teams, have had these conversations because you're together a lot, right? And you experience a lot when you're with your teammates all the time. When you're part of a team, especially in college, number one, you're away from home. Number two, you're not spending as much time as you think with your girlfriend, especially in season, right? So right. you're around your teammates 90% of the time. So life makes it where you're going to have these conversations. You're going to have conversations about race regarding culture, music, food, clothes, whatever's happening, right? So I said, you know what? Let me put my experience on paper and tell that story. So that's 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 how it started. All righty. Um, with, with that being said, you do have it indoors from the Big East Conference. Is that correct? Well, I, I, I wouldn't use the word endorse. Some people would use that word. My book is absolutely listed on the Big East website under their DEI initiatives for book suggested books to read for their student athletes. And to be on that list is, is absolutely an amazing accomplishment because Martin Luther King's book is on that list. So to piggyback off of, of today, MLK Day, um, there are quite a few titans, authors, um, Pulitzer Prize winners, Nobel Prize winners, that, that names are on that list of books that they wrote. Uh, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, uh, Dr. Eric M Michael Dyson, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Tim Wise, I mean, W.E.B. Du Bois. I mean, we can go on and on. There's a lot of people on that list. So I'm blessed and honored to have my book on that list of those amazing people in history who've written some really well-written books. Wow, that is awesome. And um, you were saying that it was Howie Long who gave you this idea. Is that correct? Yeah, he, he gave me the, the encouragement and the confirmation that putting my story on paper mattered and people would want to read about it. All right. With that being said, how tall is Howie Long or how big is he? <laughs> well, 
obviously the older you get, right, you tend to shrink and get smaller, but Howie's a big man. He's a he's a big dude, right? Right. So if you if you watch Fox pregame show, you can see he's not that much shorter than Michael Strahan. And we know Michael Strahan is a big dude, right? So Howie being much older, obviously, again, I used I, when I was in college, I was listed at six two and a half, two hundred and ten pounds. Right now, I'm pretty sure I'm not six two and a half. I'm probably more like six two or just under. But he's a big man. He's probably around six six, and uh, he's 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 a massive man. He's tall. He's big. He's handsome. Women love him. All women love him. I don't care. I've talked to women over the years when they mentioned Howie Long. Our white allied sisters and our black sisters all love Howie Long because he's, he's he comes across on TV as a good guy, a respected guy, a family guy, and all those things are true. So um, you can believe what your eyes are showing. All right, that is true. And um, with the Big East, um, you played a little football yourself. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, it kind of looks like it. Just looking in the background on there, it kind of looks like you pretty much played for the Villanova Wildcats in the football system with that. Yes. Behind me, you'll see I got my blue jersey, my white jersey, my blue jersey. And, uh, yeah, so I was a defensive back, strong safety for most of my career at Villanova. Okay, how was it playing actually in, I believe they're, they're in the FCS um, series. Um, I know you and I had a few conversations um, regarding that. What, what, do you know what the big difference is really uh, between the FBS and the FCS like as a player? Sure. sure. Well, the way the NCAA allows you to be uh, put in a category is based on a number of things. It's a formula, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or criteria. Number one, you have to have enough seats in your stadium, right? So you have to have at least a forty to sixty thousand seat stadium. You have to have eighty percent of the season tickets sold. There has to be a certain percentage of those tickets available for the student body, right? And um, and then uh, there's a couple other things that follow in there. There's Title Nine involved, right? how many women's sports teams you have versus men's sports teams you have. And then you also have to have the funding to support that program. And we all know football is the most expensive program because there's more players on the team. That's why you will find a lot of schools don't have football, believe it or not. Um, especially those Division three, those Division two schools may not have a football team because they just don't have the support there to fund those programs. So that's why it's good to have, um, you know, the alumni support and the community support. So all all those factors come into play when determining whether or not you're going to be one double A division two, division three versus division one powerhouse, power five, and all those other conferences. Okay. That, that, thank you for explaining that. Um, one thing actually came to my mind, like um, regarding the book, I'm kind of going back in the U-turn on this one, so I do apologize for that. No problem. Um, you're you're talking about how about the whole differences, lifestyles, how everyone, like in the student athlete within the on the team and so forth. 
like I've had that experience as well, but as a more on the professional side, more of a, on the military side of BMT, because we didn't know anybody. We didn't know our backgrounds. We didn't know nothing. All we know, we all had the same haircut. We were pretty much half, pretty much bald um, the whole time. But, but it was awesome to watch how we became as a family with all of our backgrounds, all the diversity that we have, um, kind of um, I, I brought us together as a team to accomplish everything. Like the stuff over my shoulder, uh, this shoulder right here, you can see it like um, on the top there, like I could not do that without the family. Those are awards that I have received, but my um, family also received the same awards. But again, it was a more of a team effort and everything else. And, and I actually had a conversation with my son um, this morning because he didn't know why there was nobody, there was not enough traffic regarding and I told him, well, buddy, we're celebrating it's Martha Luther King Day. We're celebrating um, his day and everything else. And he, he's nine years old, and we homeschool. He's going to get there. He's going to learn okay. about it. But he didn't yep. know who Martin Luther King was. Yep. So I went on to explain to him. I was like, well, he was a person who was there to fight for other people's rights who come from a different background, just like skin color and so forth. And mm -hmm. he said, like, black and white? I was like, yeah, black and white. I mean, and he was drilling me with these hard questions. Um, kids are smart, aren't they? Aren't they, kids smart? They, they are smart. And, and he's like, he's like, why would people treat people different? I was like, because they're different. They think people are different. But I told him, but you and I know, I, I told him what color is blood? And he's like, red. I was like, you and I know that the color is blood and everyone bleeds the same color um yep yep and and so forth and he, he's like oh okay I, I get that now and i i'm kind of excited when he goes through that era um because now he can talk to his nana and papa because they they lived through that time when everything was happening mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with that so i'm actually mm -hmm. excited for that where he goes through that as well so mm -hmm. um looks like we lost your captain so i guess you're the captain now um <laughs> So, well, you know, well, Sarge, let me let me just piggyback off of what you did, what you yeah. said. I totally agree with you. Uh, my dad was in the military. He was in the Army for a short period of time, six years. And that probably was around the Vietnam War period, right? Because I was born in 1965. So, but I use the example when I'm having conversations with folks. And I tell them that the military is the best example is not perfect because nothing on the planet is but it's the best example of teamwork camaraderie being a part of a group where you're everybody is on the same page because yeah. if you're not on the same page someone or all of you don't get to come home right so the military is the top best example and then sports is way below but at the second position, right? Because of right. the level of importance. But sports is, I can write about sports because it's what I played. I wasn't in the military, right? So I write about sports, but it's the same thing. Protecting each other, being part of a team, right? It's common goals, all those, all of those things, those principles, right? I call them the foundation of sports, right? Everybody, in order to win in sports, 
everyone has to be on the same page. And if you're not, the chances are you're not going to win, right? And so I that's what I write about. I write about my experience growing up in a predominantly black or majority black environment, attending a black high school, starting at Cheney, right? And then going to Villanova. But then I use a different example. The best example I like to use is I was coached by all black men in junior high, which is when I started playing football, in junior high, senior high, at Cheney, and then I get to Villanova, and then there's only one black coach, and then I am only one of five black players when I arrived on the campus of Villanova. So I talk about my experience on how I had to adjust, how I had to grow, right, and in in my new environment, and those folks who helped me grow and learn, it wasn't about me forcing myself on people to get them to change or get them to grow, right? It was about how I had to grow because believe it or not, in my book, I write about two specific teammates of mine, Perry Hodge and Rich Lage, Rich Lage, AKA Big Country, how when I was homeless because I didn't receive a scholarship, and didn't have enough money to pay for room and board. I had enough to pay for uh, tuition. How my two teammates took me in, allowed me to sleep in their room on the floor. We called it what a couch crashing or couch crashing on the couch. But I, they allowed me to, to to become their roommate for the full year. They had more diversity growing up in their background than I did because I never had a white teammate. I never had a white coach. Right? right? I didn't have those things. They did. They not only played against diverse teams, they had a diverse team. Every team I played on from junior high to senior high to even Cheney, there were no white guys on the team. It was all black. So when I got to Villanova, my teammates who had diversity growing up were able to educate me, teach me, and help me grow and 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 mature and embrace my environment. So I credit my teammates and good friends to helping me understand that just because this white coach, and I specifically write about Paul Ferraro, who was my defensive back coach, yelling at the top of his lungs in my face. I mean, it was so funny because he, he's probably, and I never asked him this, but I'm going to assume his mom and dad, mom was either Irish or, and dad was Italian, but he has the Italian name. He's got red hair and a red mustache. So he looks Irish, right? <laughs> but he's got this Italian name and he's screaming at the top of his lungs in my face. And it's the first time a white man has ever, had ever gotten in my face and screamed. So my teammates had to pull me aside because I was like, listen, I grew up in the South. And if a white man is yelling in your face, that's go time, right? And they were like, listen, he's a player's coach. He's doing what other coaches do. And when I took that step back to think about my black coaches in my career yelling at me and screaming at me, once I decided that, you know what, my, my teammates are right. 
right? He has my best interest at heart. Give him the same level of respect that I gave my black coaches. Once I was able to do that, then he made me a better player. So I had to be fair to him, just like I was giving respect to my black coaches growing up. So once I did that, then I was on my way to understanding, growing, developing, um, and embracing my environment. And that happened my first year at Villanova. It didn't happen by the time I was a junior, which would have been kind of late, but late is better than never, <laughs> right? But it happened my freshman year. So I was able to start off the year um, being having a positive impact from my teammates because they helped me, I'm telling you. My teammates helped me. And I mean, my black and white teammates helped me. It wasn't just the black guys that said it. No, it was my black and white teammates who all had diversity. And Rich Lage and Terry Hodge, perfect example. They had diversity growing up. And they grew up in South Carolina, Hilton Head, and Rich Lage grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. And they had more diversity than I did growing up. So it's just a matter of being around the right people, being around good people, who all have a common ground. All righty. Um, about being um, diversity in that group, I kind of want to go to Joe on this one um, because I, I know I know they're a lifestyle coach or uh, along that. How does that work with your lead, being diverse in, in the leadership role? So I think in the leadership role, I think you can be a lead. First of all, leadership is all about having a following. I mean, you can't, we can talk about leadership, but if you don't have people who believe in your message and who want to follow you and, and who believe in you, then, then there is no such thing as leadership. You can have people in powerful positions. And, and I think when we're talking in regard to sports, I mean, I think when we look at John Gruden, for example, he was somebody who, you know, was in a, in a, in a powerful position, but he wasn't a leader in, in the beginning. And then it started to unravel. So I think diversity to be a leader, you have to embrace diversity because that's just, I think Bo said it very well when you're saying you have to surround yourself with good people. And, uh, you know, I've seen it professionally. I've seen it personally. You know, leadership is not a, a matter of power. It's a matter of embracing everybody around you, a matter of being a good person and being able to, to, to disseminate your message and have people receive it. All right, that that is really well well put. And um, well, I just want to say thank you coming coming on to the show, promoting your book. Um, and also, you can find it uh, on Amazon as well. Is, is there anywhere else that we can find this book? No, that that's the best place to find it. Um, you go to Amazon. Amazon is great. We can get you the book faster than any other online retailer. All the you know there are lots of online retailers that you can pick my book up from, but. Um, Barnes and Noble is one, but not to beat up Barnes and Noble, they're a little slower in their delivery process than Amazon. So if you want to get it quickly, uh, absolutely, Amazon is is a great place to pick it up. And they they do a lot of if you, from my understanding, talking to my Irish twin sister, if you have a Prime membership or an Amazon membership, you know there's all kinds of discounts. So you might be able to take advantage of those discounts. But they tend to they tend to you know fluctuate in terms of one day you can get pick up my ebook which will be the kindle um for eight bucks and then the next day it could be a dollar 99. so just you know keep a, keep an eye out for 
what's going on. <laughs> right? Right. All right. All right. I just want to say thank you for coming to the Sports Compound. And for all of you that are watching, Race Against Race by Bodine Standards is his journey on diversity and inclusion. It is spot or it's promoted by the big east conference which is pretty pretty big and also on amazon and barnes and noble as well with that being said so we're talking about leadership and that kind of goes into my next segment with like with all the nfl games that have happened and it was the 49ers versus the cowboys where was the leadership on the very last play of that game um in my mind i i it was Kellen Moore who made, made that call from everything I read in on that story. It was an offensive coordinator. I love the call. I 100% support the call, but I thought he should have went, that Dak Prescott should have went down sooner. But it was the comments that Dak Prescott made after the game, saying that he credited the fans throwing trash at the, at the refs. Bodine, I'm going to let you speak on this for a little bit, if you could. What, what was your reaction just hearing that from Dak Prescott? Well, he was wrong. He, he he let the moment get the best of him because it's an emotional game, right? And he should know better because he's playing on the, the, the highest level on this planet. There's no better football in terms of the way we play football on this planet, right? So he's part of a select organization. He should know better, right? He's playing for one of the best well-known teams on the planet it is the most expensive not most expensive let me choose my words correctly <laughs> the dallas cowboys is the highest value team on the planet they're worth billions right so he should know better and he should know control your emotions at all times especially when you lose a game at the end of the the, the, the day in the press room getting interviewed so he should know better no two wrongs don't make a right just because the fans did something wrong doesn't make it right that you agree with them because somebody could have got hurt anybody could have got hurt a ref a kid that was sitting close to a ref walking through that tunnel so he's absolutely wrong he let his emotions get the best of him he was wrong now i agree with you it was a good call but the way the call was executed, it's all about the way it was executed. Yes. They didn't execute the play well. And for Dak to say, we practice that in practice, well, obviously you didn't practice it enough because it looked horrible, right? They looked discombobulated the entire game, right? Remember when they threw the, the, the fake punt and they threw the pass and caught it and got the first down? First down? And then all of a sudden, all chaos broke loose on their sideline. They didn't know who was going to come in and out of the game. I'm, getting, I'm like, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And look at the sideline, the opposite, the opposing sideline, San Francisco. They're standing there, calm, cool, and just like ready to move on to the next play. So Dallas has some issues. They cost me the opportunity to win. Our our bet this week from last Wednesday because Captain Joe is beating everybody. She's four for four, five for five, and if the team if the Rams win tonight, she's going to be six for six, and she's going to beat all of us. <laughs> all right, <laughs> and I'm going to brag about it too. <laughs> you know, all my all means, brag about it. Um, 
because I kind of want to get done with the segment because I think Chris in the background, I think he's probably getting upset more and more that we're talking about it right now. Um, <laughs> Joe, wait, wait, I, you did you you caught, catch um, the game yesterday? Um, the the Cowboys and the 49ers. What was your perception of the last play, the Cowboys themselves, and what Dak said during the press conference? Well, of course, I thought it was inappropriate. I, you know, I always think you should take the high road. Uh, and and I think that, you know, everybody was looking to those last moments. But if you back it up to the third quarter, I mean, there were many missed opportunities in the game. It wasn't it wasn't just coming down to that last play. I think, of course, the last play is the most uh, the most passionate, the most controversial. But I think, you know, any player in any in any regard, we should always take the high road. So I, I found those you know, a little bit, I understood them because of course it's an emotional game as voting said. Uh, so I understood, but I think that if you really took a look and disseminated the entire game, it, it, there were problems before we even got close to that last slide. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just another Cowboys playoff game losing because last time I remember the Cowboys had a home playoff game, it was against the New York Giants. And guess what? The Giants went on to win the Super Bowl during that season. Um, so with, with that, there was also another controversial play, I believe it was on Saturday against the Raiders versus the Bengals. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. It was the airness whistle that happened well after the ball was thrown. Um, and it was, I, I guess it was blown like two seconds before the ball was caught, would you say, with that one? In my mind, it seems really irrelevant for for it to be really an issue because all the players are playing hard already on that play. And I think it's going to take more than two seconds for them to real, to register in their minds, oh, I heard a whistle to stop and everything. And during that press conference, the head ref said, hey, Airness whistles are not reviewable. They, they have a loophole. The refs have a loophole right there. Joe, I'm kind of want to start with you on this one. What was what was your thinking with with all that going down with the, between the Raiders and the Bengals? I thought the whistle, and I understand it, it's a rule, but I thought the whistle was so this was minutia. I mean, the ball was going to be, called, you know, ban him from. <laughs> Joe, wait, wait, uh, you did you you caught catch um, the game yesterday? Um, the the Cowboys and the 49ers, what was your perception of the last play, the Cowboys themselves, and what Dak said during the press conference? Well, of course, I thought it was inappropriate. You know, I always think you should take the high road. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, everybody was looking to those last moments. But if you back it up to the third quarter, I mean, there were many missed opportunities in the game. It wasn't, it wasn't just coming down to that last play. I think, of course, the last play is the most uh, the most passionate, the most controversial. But I think, you know, any player in any, re in any regard, we should always take the high road. So I, I found those, you know, a little bit. I understood them because, of course, it's an emotional game, as Bodine said. Uh, so I understood. But I think that if you really took a look and disseminated the entire game, it, it, there were problems before we even got close to that last slide. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just another Cowboys playoff game losing because last time I remember the Cowboys had a home playoff game it was against the New York Giants and guess what the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl during that season um so with, with that there was also another controversial play I believe it was on Saturday against the Raiders versus the Bengals I don't know if you guys caught that or not it was the airness whistle that happened well after the ball was thrown um and it was 
I, I guess it was blown like two seconds before the ball was caught, would you say, mm -hmm. with that one? In my mind, it seems really irrelevant for, for it to be really an issue because all the players are playing hard already on that play. And I think it's going to take more than two seconds for them to real to register in their minds. Oh, I heard a whistle to stop and everything. And during that press conference, the head ref said, "Hey, fairness whistles are not reviewable. It, they have a loophole. The refs have a loophole right there." Joe, I'm kind of want to start with you on this one. What was what was your thinking with with all that going down with the, between the Raiders and the Bengals? I thought the whistle, and I understand it, it's a rule, but I thought the whistle was so, this was minutiae. I mean, the ball was going to be caught whether that whistle was blown or not. Uh, I think that, it, you know, there are calls now to throw the ref out of, you know, ban him from officiating again. I think that's all extreme. I mean, when you hear the whistle, I, mean, I find it hard to leave anybody on the field. He was about to catch the ball. I mean, and it was a momentary, uh, maybe a second, so... I think it was, you know, if it's a rule, it's a rule, but I, I, I think it's a lot of fluff and just a controversy that wasn't worth delving into. If it had been much more, you know, if, if it had had an, if it impacted the play at all, maybe, but I didn't see where it impacted it at all. All right, Bo, you're, you're, what, what about, what did you think? Well, it was an inadvertent whistle. Inadvertent whistles can be blown. And there are rules regarding inadvertent whistles. But I agree. It was going to be a touchdown. It didn't stop the players in the end zone from competing to stop the touchdown catch. I believe the, the whistle was blown because once the quarterback threw the ball, stepped out of bounds, that ref was trying to protect that quarterback from getting hit, right? because it was at least three or four guys ready to pounce. And he wanted to make, because remember, their number one goal is to protect quarterbacks, protect the quarterbacks at all costs. So even with the inadvertent whistle, totally agree. That was going to be a touchdown no matter what. It had no effect on the game. It wasn't at the end of the game like the Dallas game. So, yeah, they make mistakes. They're not perfect. Let's keep it moving. And the Raiders still had a chance to tie that game up at the end. So you can't take one piece out of a game because you're taking it out of context, right? You have to watch the entire game and see whether or not it would have played or had an effect on the, on the outcome. It did not. Not at all. So, yeah, it's not a big deal to me. Okay, we do have a couple of comments um, here. Um, we got Adrian Ferris, he's saying, um, we we're talking about how long, he's saying that he's 6'5", that's still pretty tall, that's how tall my um, brother-in-law is, and we started talking about the Cowboys, and he said no. Um, then Mess Around Dave was, was um, just to let you know, Dave, yes, we're talking about that time when Joe Burrow supposedly stepped out of bounds, but he didn't, and... Adrian Ferris is saying the rule says because the whistle was blown even though it really didn't impact the play, the play should have been replayed. But from what I've read, airness whistles are not reviewable. There's like like 10, 10 plays that you cannot review a plays on with that one. Um, and the other game that I was – I mean, I, I knew what the outcome of the game was going to be. It was the, was the Steelers versus the Chiefs. But before the game – 
Big Ben, Ben Rossberger, who should have retired two years ago, in my opinion. That's how I feel. That we're we're just we know we're the worst team in the playoffs. You should not be in the playoffs. That's where I'm at with the Steelers on that one. You should not be in the playoffs. We're just gonna go out there and have fun. Did you guys see the Steelers having fun at all? Because <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> well, what's your thought takes on that one? Well, I, I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan, so of course I I enjoyed the game. I think that yeah, I I didn't see I didn't think the Steelers were having fun. I think that that's it's easy to say that in the press conference beforehand, but they wanted to go out there and win, obviously, and it didn't it didn't it didn't play out that way, so. You know, I do have some sympathy for them. <laughs> but I think we all knew the Chiefs were going to win. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of going back to college. You got the FCS. They're playing against the NIAI conference. They're coming in. They're like, hey, we're, let's just have some fun. And then they just get blown out of the water by I don't know how many points. But what, what was your, your thinking of that whole entire game? Well, remember, I think we talked about this, Joe, on our show on Wednesday night. And I said that was just Ben basically trolling you know, the Chiefs, um, you know, throwing a little bit of sand, you know, sandbagging, uh, you know, in terms of a golf term, their way. Um, but listen, they had no shot. They played well. They gave it all they could. That's why the score was 0-0 in the first quarter. But after that, and after uh, Watt scored that touchdown off the fumble recovery, it was over. You just immediately tell Kansas City said, okay, enough's enough. Let's put these guys to bed. And they did. And it was over. So it, it just goes to show you talent wins. And especially if you have a talented quarterback. And when I mean talented, I mean a quarterback that is going to limit turnovers, that's going to manage the game properly and give you a chance to win. Because Pittsburgh is not far. They've got a they've got a, a really good running back from Alabama, right? I think he's from Alabama. They've got some good receivers. They have a really good defense. Ben Roethlisberger can barely walk at the end of every game. I I'm, I would put money on it. He's gonna have a, a hip replacement. He, he just can't move the way he used to. He doesn't have the power to put you know, to, to throw the ball because he's got no, it's, he's, he's got no power in his hips, right? So he was doing everything he could to, to shine the light on his comments so his other guys, his teammates, can get after it. But as you can see, it didn't matter. Kansas City is, and I'm looking forward to this weekend, that shootout between KC and Buffalo is going to be outrageous because Buffalo is no joke. There's no one circles the leggings like the Buffalo the Bills. Buffalo Bills. That is right. <laughs> so well, they, they are from New York, so they, you know, you know how that goes. No, I thought they were part of Canada. Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, been, I've been to a game, so I know it's in my state, so I can validate it. All right. And I actually, um, Back in my time on the East Coast, I actually drove past Lincoln um, Stadium where the Eagles play. I was surprised how big that stadium football field was. I didn't get a chance to go in it, but you got the hockey. You have the the hockey field house, the basketball court there, and also the baseball stadium all in that one area with the football.
softball team as well. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great sports complex. Absolutely. Philadelphia is a great, you know, a great sports town. Um, so, yeah, you've got the basketball, football, baseball um, arenas. And so, yeah, it's uh, and then they play hockey inside the basketball arena. Um, so, yeah, it's it, and, you know, they got all kinds of entertainment downtown or maybe in that sports complex. So, no, it's a great place. It's a great, great location. It would be even better if it brings in championships. That's where I'm at. <laughs> but speaking of the Eagles, they played against the um, Tampa Bay Buc- Buccaneers, um, and that was a blowout pretty much. But there, there's rumors out there that the Eagles head coach didn't shake hands with the Bucs um, with Buck's hand after the game, um, because you know that's pretty much a unwritten rule that you need to do after the game is it's sportsmanship. That's that's how I see it. It's sportsmanship. It's you respect one another. Um, but I, I couldn't tell because there was, the shot wasn't long enough and so forth. I don't know if it really happened or not, but I do know it happened with Eric Mangini and Bill Belichick when Eric Mangini was coaching the the Jets. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots pull out the. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you see two head coaches, professionals? I want to start with Joe on this one, actually. Two professionals in in, in their job or or sports related as well, but they don't congratulate or acknowledge each other. Well, I think that in my perception, I don't view them as professionals. I view them as. Uh, sore losers and and i get that it's emotional but you know i i and i know that this is a controversial subject but in my in my perception and in my mind that these individuals are role models you know you have kids watching these games you have fam, you know families and and other young professionals coming up even college students uh, and i think that if if you're in the public spotlight and i i know that some people say they they're not role models but in my perception you are and you should act in that vein and and not to shake hands you can be as pissed off as you want in the locker room just hold on to it for two more minutes and and shake hands and then move on your way even even in respect to your own players what 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 are what are you conveying to them you're conveying that it's okay to be disgruntled and, and to be unhappy and and to and to act like a fool essentially <laughs> so i get it we're all emotional but we're all adults too and when you buy into this organization and you're working for somebody i think that that's part of that that's part of your responsibility to be to be a professional and, and they weren't acting very professionally in that in that moment all right the cameras did show that bruce arenas who's a head coach for the bucks he did go to the field he was a little slow to get there because he has an achilles injury which mm-hmm. no one wants it hurts and so forth um but what was your thoughts um seeing this or reading this or how you ever found out about this happening what how, how did you feel about that well i just found out about it through you <laughs> and, and but i did i did notice because i understood that the, the head coach of tampa was having some achilles issues because i had my achilles sewn back sewn back together um back in 2013 so i know what it's like to have a bad achilles right um you 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 can't just do everything normal you got to walk really slowly and maybe there was a misunderstanding with the folks that are supposed to line the coaches up and find each other usually they're both escorted by security 
or assistant coaches. So, you know, they can wave the hand and say, hey, we're here, we're here, right? Um, so maybe, maybe there's a misunderstanding. But the bottom line is, if the players are out there after competing against each other, smacking each other, trying to kill each other to win a game, if they can find the courage to shake each other's hands and swap jerseys when they have a quick minute, coaches should make the absolute extra effort to find each other, shake hands, and be the example. Because we all live in a TV world. Everybody's got a camera, be it on their phone or in the stadium, watching the coaches meet, shake hands, right? They always go to the coaches first, then they go to the quarterbacks. So they find the leaders of the team, show them, show them greeting, shaking hands, and having a quick conversation. And then they find additional, you know, the player of the game or whatever. So there's always an eye on the coach and an eye on the quarterbacks. So Joe's right. It's you're setting a bad example to not just the players, but the people who it can have a negative effect on or, or an influence on by watching that, right? So, and we know a lot of folks love excuses and need a reason to not do something. Well, so-and-so and so didn't do it. So I, if they don't do it, I don't have to do it. Well, two rights don't make a wrong. That is true. That is true. And I, I disagree agree with it. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with both of you on, on, on all, all of it. And um, in the game, the Philadelphia Eagles were down 17 to nothing at halftime. Mess around Dave's is saying, should have put Minshew in, that's Gardner Minshew, the backup quarterback, in, instead of Hurts, they would have had a better chance. What are you guys' thoughts regarding that? Hmm. I'm going to throw it to you, Bodine. I, I don't know. I, I think the, yeah, it, it's a tough team to beat, regardless of who, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Bucks fan now, so <laughs> I don't know if Minshew would have made any difference. To answer that question, and, and I can understand if Dave has some uh, uh, money on the game or if it's part of, if, I don't know if they still do fantasy football during the playoffs, but in terms of the actual reality, Kurtz has only been our quarterback for a short period of time. He's only started maybe 20 to 22 games. Right. Um, so he's still growing. You have to find out if he's going to be your franchise quarterback. So you have a little bit of time to do that. Right. You don't want to ruin that relationship by pulling him out and putting Minchu in. Because as much as I like Minchu, who came from my hometown Jaguars, he's not a franchise quarterback. Right. He is a great backup quarterback. He's already established that. He can come in and win a game for you. You're trying to establish if Hurts is a franchise quarterback. So you got to let him work through this process, right? You got you to get experience. And this is experience that he needs, right? He, he will have to learn from this. So, no, you can't pull him out of the game. And number two, I agree with Joe. They had no shot of winning anyway, right? Because remember what I said, Joe? If it rains, 
if it rains the whole game, Eagles will have a chance to win because they can seriously run the ball. But by the time the game started, that rain had blown over, the sun was out, and I said, as soon as I saw that that, that afternoon shadow on the field, I said, this is over. Tom's going to eat them up. And then exactly what happened. He ate them up. Agree. All right. I, I would probably have to agree. Uh, Minshew wouldn't have made a difference, but I'd like to see him out there because I love the handlebar muscle, uh, mustache that he has. Minshew Mania is still alive in Philadelphia. Oh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He fits into the Philadelphia culture perfectly. But let's be real. You got to find a, a, a franchise quarterback to see if he's going to be the guy for the next eight years. And you can't do that by pulling him out of the game his first playoff game just because Tom Brady is crushing you. Tom Brady crushed everybody. He's the GOAT. <laughs> That's true, but he can't crush us because we're not even playing. But I, I think in the, in the comments, someone's actually kind of calling a little, you a little liar there, Bo, about your Achilles because Adrian is saying that he didn't have any problems jumping out and hitting his DB on top of his helmet during the timeout. Oh, oh I saw that. I saw he that. Got that little sure. adrenaline going. It was he able to overcome, hit, overcome it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I saw that. He smacked him across the head because he didn't want to get a pit. He didn't want the team to get a penalty because remember, you can get penalized by pulling guys off the, off the, um, the, the uh, pack. You know, the, the when when there's a group tackle, and guys are scrambling for the ball and all that kind of stuff. You can get penalized by doing that. So he smacked the guy, you know, in the head and got his attention and said, "Hey, get you know, get back." So. You know, but hey, I'm pretty sure he's paying for that because I'm gonna oh, that hurt that Achilles. He and he can't and listen. He's probably opted to not get surgery until the season's over. So he's dealing with a lot of pain. That is not easy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a walking boot on. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it. All right, and we got. Adam Barber here. He's seeing Jessica here. So have you already touched on this? My apologies, but what's your thoughts on Dak saying credit to the fans throwing debris at the referee? We, we really disagree with it. It was very, it was tacky, I, I would say. Um, it, it sends a wrong message, message to your team. Even when you're the captain of the football team, it sends a huge um, message. This that was a bad message all, all around. So yeah. we're a little we're talking about penalties really quick. Um, this is probably the last segment that we have. Um, the last question I got for you guys. So during the playoffs, uh, one of one of the text groups I'm in, I, I forget which game it was. I can't remember, but a player took off his helmet, mm -hmm. and I believe it was a 15 yard penalty on a sports mic like Condit, mm -hmm. but he didn't have the ball, and the play was already dead. Mm -hmm. What is your thoughts on that rule, Bo? Do you know the rule, Joe? I did don't. You, did you did you see the play? I saw the play, but I didn't I didn't hadn't heard of the rule previously. You can't take your helmet off on the football field. If your helmet get pulled off, that's one thing. If your helmet comes off because you you know you were part of a tackle and in a scrum, that's one thing. You cannot forcibly take your helmet off on the field, it's a penalty. And he did that. He deserved that penalty. And 
and he got yelled at when he got to the sideline. I absolutely forget which game it was. Do you guys remember what game it was? Looks like we got our good man, Adam Barber, here. He he, he reminded us. It was the Buccaneers and Eagles game. Yes, I remember, I remember now. Hurts threw a pass, and the cornerback almost intercepted that pass, and they both went down to the ground. And so um, his helmet was almost to his chin and he took completely took his helmet off and it looked like he was celebrating defending the play which is also can be a penalty especially if you're um celebrating in the player's face he wasn't doing that what he did was he ran away from the the wide receiver took his helmet off to say yeah, you can't throw that crap on me. I got it covered. Play. So it's wrong. It's in the it's in the rule books. And they this rule is not like a new rule. It's been around a while. Mm-hmm. So he it, not paying attention, living in the moment, too emotional. Because that's a, it was a big play, right? I get it, but you still gotta know the rules. He was wrong. Excuse me. Joe, your thoughts? Well, as Bodie knows, I'm a rule follower. So if it's a rule, it's a rule. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know we're not talking about the Australian Open, but the same thing. If it's a rule, it's a rule. You're, you're out. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So Absolutely. I agree with Bodie. Absolutely. All right. Do you agree with the rule, though? Yes, because anything can happen. When you're on a football field, anything can happen. Right? You take your helmet off and remember, was it two years ago when the defensive lineman from the Cleveland Browns oh, yeah. took off his helmet and tried to hit the backup quarterback from Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, he, he got him. Yeah, he hit him. Yeah. Anything can happen. And the one thing you don't want to happen is to have your helmet off and you get hit in the head with another helmet even somebody throwing a football do you realize quarterbacks throwing footballs could be could be in my opinion could be considered lethal weapons these guys break fingers when they throw footballs that's how hard and how fast they throw footballs so it's 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 not safe to be on a football field at no point at no point in time I, I saw a play, and and I don't know if it was this year or not, but somebody, and maybe that's the play you're talking about, and I saw it on a replay where, you know, somebody took their helmet off on the field, and then somebody headbutted them with their own helmet, with their helmet on. Is that what you're referring to, or? No, no, no. I'm referring to the, the big scrum between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the yeah. Cleveland Browns a couple of years ago. So, I don't know. I don't know when that play was, but I thought I saw it this year. Oh, it, it could have happened. Absolutely. It's dangerous. So they do it to protect. You have to protect players from themselves. It's an emotional game. Things are moving really fast. And all of a sudden, you just, you lose your mind because things are moving fast. You can get, I mean, we know you can get seriously injured out there. So that I, I totally believe in the rule. Keep your helmets on. Take your helmets off when you get to the sideline. I don't even think you should take off your helmet in the in the in the end zone or behind the end zone after you score a touchdown. 
helmets are to be taken off when you're in the box on your sideline. That's when your helmets should come off. Other than that, no, keep them on. All righty. So we hit on many topics today. Again, I just want to say thanks, Bo and Joe. Um, you can catch them uh, on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, the Bo and Joe show, also featuring Adrian on that show as well. Um, make sure you check out Bodine's book, Race Against, or Race Against Against Race. Um, I heard it's a pretty good book, and I am going to have to get a copy of myself and so forth. And Joe, what other shows are you on? So I also have a Holistic Health and Hot Mamas on, and that's on Wednesday nights as well at 7. Bowen Joe, the Bowen Joe show is actually on at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> uh, we're, we're off and on past 11, so if you tuned in at 11, you will catch us. <laughs> and yeah, and Adrian's a big part of that show as well. We're, we're a trio now, so, so, you know, we're looking forward to Wednesday night. And, and thanks so much for having us. This has been so much fun. It was fun. And also, I have to correct myself. Um, I mentioned Best Around Lunchtime, his new show. His show came out last week, and he did a show before my show. It, it's actually called Lunchtime with Mess Around. He talks about a lot about the Chicago sports uh, teams and so forth. So definitely check that out. Uh, also, tonight at 10 p.m. Pacific Time is a Four Bros radio show. You tune in to watch me drink some hot sauce because I lost a bet. Oh, oh no. Tune in. What time oh, is that? That's, that's at 10 p.m. And you know what? It's either go big or go home. So I got some Carolina Reaper hot sauce that I am going to be testing out here um, tonight at 10 p.m. So if I don't make it. 10 p.m. Pacific, right? 10 p.m. Pacific, yep. So I'm going to have to set my alarm for that one. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be interesting. So tune in for that one. Again, I just want to say thank you, too, for coming on to the show, Crispy, or Chris, thank you for keeping staying on the background while we were talking about the Cowboys. So thank you again for staying, <laughs> sticking around for us on that one. And again, thank you for coming to the Sports Compound. I am the Sarge. Sarge out.